Hello and welcome to the Middle East Forums webinar series, Israel Insider with Ashley Perry. I'm Stacey Roman and I will be moderating this discussion today. We are pleased to have Mr. Ashley Perry, advisor to the Middle East Forums Israel office, join us here each Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern to update us on all the events going on in Israel. Mr. Perry will be giving us a briefing on current Israeli affairs for 15 minutes and open it up for questions. Should you wish to ask a question, please use the Q&A box to locate at the bottom of your screen to type out your question. Now, with no further ado, I'll turn the discussion over to Mr. Ashley Perry. Thank you very much, Stacey, and good evening. Um, unlike previous weeks, uh, we're not going to focus on domestic politics. It's actually been a relatively quiet week uh, here in Israel domestically in the Knesset and the government, I say relatively, uh, because there's still plenty going on there, but certainly no great uh, shocks, uh, no great moves, movement, uh, uh, as we've seen in previous weeks. So let's, let's first of all start with the big headline of the week, and that was that another Arab Muslim state uh, joined with the UAE and Bahrain and formalized uh, relations, or is on the way to formalize relations uh, with this one, that is Sudan. Now, for a lot of people, Sudan is a country uh, with a history of involvement in terror, and it certainly is. Uh, it's a country which doesn't do much for Israel or the West economically, which is certainly true. But there are certain factors which make this uh, very different from the other agreements in the fact that, first of all, this is outside of the Gulf orbit. This is a country in, uh, in, in, in Africa. It is a Muslim majority. It is an Arab majority. It's part of the uh, Arab League. Uh, from a purely symbolic point of view, it's very significant because after 1967, when Israel uh, won, liberated uh, the territories of Judea and Samaria and the West Bank uh, in a stunning victory in the Six Day War, uh, there was an Arab League meeting in Khartoum, uh, where basically they came out with the famous three no's, no to normalization, no uh, to peace and no to negotiations. And that was really the bedrock of uh, Arab rejectionism for decades. So the fact that out of Khartoum now, we find yes to peace, yes to normalization, and yes to negotiations with Israel is symbolically very, very important and is a paradigm shift. Moreover, it is another uh, big blow for Iran. Uh, it's further outside of its geographic orbit, but certainly not out of its uh, area of influence, certainly not uh, in the past, uh, we saw Iran was certainly uh, using uh, Sudanese territory uh, for some of its uh, uh, activities, uh, uh, violent and terror activities during the 2000s. Um, Prime Minister Netanyahu, when he talked about uh, the relationship with Sudan, he did hint at some of Israel's operations to stop the smuggling of arms through Sudan's territory. He didn't explicitly uh, state it, but there was certainly an an implicit reference in there uh, during his remarks. Um, and although the Sudan had moved away from Iran and moved uh, more into Saudi, the Saudi orbit, especially by giving unequivocal or relatively unequivocal backing to the Saudis in their war uh, against the Houthis in Yemen, um, Sudan was always seen as a, as, as a country that could be relatively easily manipulated. Obviously, uh, the longstanding dictatorship had, had, had departed and there's a transitional government there and the transitional government's main job was to get it off the sanctions list, which obviously 
financially gives it a lifeline because it is a country where economically very, very uh, challenging. Um, so definitely America's role is extremely important. Um, and it seems like, um, you know, they're now going to be welcomed back into the family of nations. And one of the steps towards that is to have uh, normalization of relations, uh, diplomatic relations with Israel. Um, and the question is what happens next? And that's why I'd like to get into the second part of what I'm going to talk in my opening remarks about is the US elections coming up next week. What role or how do we see any possible changes uh, between the two candidates uh, towards Israel? Well, I think we've seen certainly in the last few weeks, President Trump has been very, very much behind uh, these normalization agreements, these peace treaties, and even some of the other actions and movements that have taken place, whether it's Saudi Arabia allowing flights to and from Israel over its airspace uh, and, and many other things, uh, Netanyahu uh, traveling to Oman. None of these things happened previously, um, simply because there is, or there, there was, there is, a difference in worldviews. And I think this is probably what separates uh, the Biden camp. And I say that in the wider sense, because obviously uh, uh, Biden uh, was the, the, the vice president in the Obama administration that was very much focused on what's called uh, in, in sort of in circles involved with uh, policy towards Israel is linkage. And what's linkage? Linkage is that uh, the Palestinian-Israeli uh, conflict is the root of all problems in the Middle East. Once you solve that issue, then the Middle East becomes a much more safer, peaceful, stable uh, region. Well, that should have been dealt a heavy, heavy blow uh, uh, by the Arab Spring. The fact is that if you ignore the rest of the Arab world, if you ignore the region at the cost of, of all this focus on Ramallah and Jerusalem, you basically ignore all the major, major problems. The Syrian civil war, the Lebanese civil war, the, uh, the, uh, what's going on in Yemen and all the other major and minor conflicts going on in the Middle East have absolutely zero connection to the Israel-Palestinian uh, problem. And in fact, overloads the uh, Israel-Palestinian uh, issue if you basically say that it is the root of all evil, of all problems, and you overload it and you overfocus, you give the Palestinian rejectionist camp a very, very heavy hand. And that's why uh, President Obama was not able to move the peace uh, process forward one inch, even though he extracted many, many concessions out of Israel, like the freeze of the settlements, like a recognition by Prime Minister Netanyahu, the two-state solution, uh, like an agreement to negotiate with all issues on the table, uh, even uh, to, to agree to negotiations beginning on the pre-67 lines, the, the hallowed green line. And because of that bottleneck that was basically created, the failed policy making uh, basically ensured that uh, eight years uh, of the Obama administration was pretty much completely wasted. Um, President Trump hasn't obviously been able to move the Israeli-Palestinian uh, conflict forward too much, but what he has able to do is end, I would say, in a, in a large way, the Israel-Arab conflict, which predated the Israel-Palestinian conflict, arguably. Uh, it can be an argument which came first. But certainly it shows that there is no impediment to Israel having full and normalized relations with uh, Arab states, Muslim states, without moving an inch on the Palestinians. It basically takes away Mahmoud Abbas, the, the Palestinian leader's veto on Israel's relationship with its neighbors. 
And that is very significant because when you take away uh, the rejectionist camps, major playing cards, you know, it, a lot can happen. If you basically allow someone whose whole uh, sort of professional life uh, has been based on rejecting very uh, exceptionally generous offers, uh, rejecting the, uh, a possible Palestinian state, with Jerusalem its capital, with uh, Temple Mount, with refugees, with everything that the um, Palestinian leadership ostensibly say at once, and still not come to an agreement, shows that there's a failure in thinking. And the worry is, I think, amongst some in Israel, is that uh, a President Biden, I don't think he would be to the same level as, uh, as, as President Obama. And we remember in the last few days of President Obama's uh, tenure, he allowed a resolution of the, um, at, the, um, uh, at the UN Security Council to condemn settlements and, and claim that they are the obstacle to peace, which clearly they've not been uh, for the history of the conflict. Um, but what we do see is a very different focus. Today, perhaps more than any, we saw exactly where the difference of focus, whereas uh, the, the Obama regime with Biden as Vice President, Secretary of State Clinton, and then, uh, and then Kerry, uh, basically focused on the settlements. Those need to be a settlement freeze. It needed to be very limited building, needed to you know, agree to uh, allow the Palestinians more influence in Area C, et cetera, et cetera. It was all about the details on the ground. Well, today we saw Ambassador uh, David Friedman, uh, the US ambassador, signing an agreement uh, with uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu in Ariel University, which is in the West Bank in Judea and Samaria, basically changing. There are three uh, science and research uh, agreements that Israel signed in the 1970s, uh, which has involved a lot of cooperation and, and uh, you know, uh, uh, scientific understanding, a research, cooperation, coordination. Uh, but what these three agreements said, which is uh, quite interesting, is that they would not extend into any territories that Israel captured uh, in the 67 war. So in other words, over the green line, no one over the green line, no, no facility uh, or, or institution could uh, be involved in any of this scientific coordination, cooperation. And no one, not Republican or Democratic uh, administration since has has, has rescinded that. Well, today that was rescinded and the agreements were rewritten to say that uh, they can involve any Israeli entity regardless of where they are over the green line, either side of the green line. So this really is a repudiation. Really today is, is a, only a few days before the elections, obviously, and there's a lot of you know, electoral value in, for both sides uh, in, in, in what took place, but it is a repudiation of the last days of Obama, uh, the Obama administration, which basically said, the settlements are the obstacle to peace. They are illegal, they're an obstacle, et cetera, et cetera. Or today, in the last few days before the elections, it may not be the last days of the Trump presidency, we'll have to see next week, but we see complete repudiation of that. So we see two very different worldviews to, you know, again, I, I, Biden has been very, very uh, uh, careful, you know, to sort of toe the line. He's taken a moderate line on Israel. He, he hasn't been at this point, uh, to a uh, move too over uh, far over to the left, where some in his party uh, would like to see far harsher sanctions against Israel, would like to couple uh, uh, aid, military aid that Israel receives uh, from the US on what they would call Israel's behavior. In other words, how it would treat the Palestinians, what it would do in settlements, et cetera, et cetera. 
uh, Biden has repudiated that and certainly uh, stood against that, and so has Kamala Harris. Um, but you know, there, there's a debate to be had where exactly what happened after, you know, if, if, if uh, Joe Biden could, uh, should win the presidency, who would he populate, you know, his foreign policy uh, force with, and those who would make the, uh, be making uh, these kind of decisions we've seen uh, significantly in, in both parties, you know, they go back to what they know, you know, we see some of very familiar faces time and time again uh, in uh, foreign policy circles uh, when, when each side uh, captures the White House. And if we see return to the Obama administration, even some of those who are left over from Clinton or even, even Carter, then we see return to the failed policies of linkage, of overloading the Israel-Palestinian conflict, of moving away from what is happening. There's some unprecedented uh, uh, surge towards normalization with Israel and the Sunni Arab countries. Um, so we, we just have to wait and see. Obviously, you know, in Israel, I, I, you know, just, just from what we've seen in polls, the majority of Israelis would prefer a Trump uh, presidency. Obviously, our interests are just from a purely foreign policy point of view. And, you know, we don't vote in, well, many of us don't, I certainly don't vote in the American elections. So I'm not going to talk anything about domestic politics or anything else. I'm just talking about how Israel sees it. And, you know, comparing uh, the Trump administration and the Obama administration where Joe Biden was a significant player uh, to a certain degree, of course. Um, and as I said, I think, I think a Joe Biden presidency would, would not be towards the excesses, let's say, of an administration, but would certainly be a move away from uh, some of the unprecedented things we've seen last few years from the Trump administration. So I think with that, I'm happy to open it up for any questions. Thank you so much. That was a fantastic point about the, the Israel-Palestinian conflict versus Israel. So the first question we have in is, what is more important for Israel, signing the agreements or the normalization process as a whole? Signing the agreements with, with, the, Pal with the Palestinians? Signing agreements in general, the more signing with different countries versus just the process as a whole. Well, like anything, you know, no, no, no peace or normalization or good relations is on black and white paper. Uh, it's really about what, what it, I mean, there's two levels to this. There is the uh, government level. I mean, we, let's look at two examples we have, which are previous peace agreements with Egypt and Jordan. We have peace uh, with both. We have uh, relatively good coordination uh, at the highest levels. But do we have a warm peace? Probably not with either. You don't see masses of Israelis. I mean, there were times where there were a certain amount of tourism, but you don't see masses of Israelis being welcomed openly uh, in Egypt or Jordan. Jordan obviously has a majority Palestinian uh, population. Uh, Egypt is not one that, you know, the population is warm uh, towards Israel. And the people, you know, certainly there's still a level of uh, dislike and this, uh, you know, mistrust. Um, so I don't think those are particularly good paradigms. What we do see from the United Arab Emirates is something far warmer. You really do see, I mean, we're talking about much uh, smaller populations under half a million actual citizens. But, you know, when, when we signed these agreements, you know, it was in the front page of the newspapers that was welcome. I, I, can't, I, I can't remember a day since talk of the normalization where an Israeli delegation didn't go across to Abu Dhabi, Dubai, um, and basically, you know, be welcomed there, sign agreements, culture, 
sport, science, security, diplomacy. I mean, there's a whole gamut. And it seems Bahrain, we talked about it last week, it's not on the same level, but it's certainly far away from what we see with uh, Egypt and Jordan. So I think, you know, I, 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 don't, I don't envision this is going to happen with Sudan because there's a lot less that Sudan can offer. And I don't see many Israelis going there on holiday vacation. Um, so it's probably a very different uh, type of agreement. Um, but I think, you know, it, 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 it remains to be seen exactly what level it will be with these, some of these countries. But so far, we've been uh, very you know, enamored in Israel uh, with what's going on in the Gulf uh, towards Israel, the welcome, the open, you know, the openness. You know, we have uh, Bahraini officials, uh, Emiratis writing in Israeli newspapers, appearing on Israeli TV, coming to visit uh, Israel and vice versa. So I think these are going to be very warm ties that go far, far beyond, uh, you know, what was signed on the dotted line between, between the two leaderships. Thank you. So going along with the Sudan's normalization, can you comment? Uh, there seems to be a significant opposition within Sudan to the normalization. Do you think this will have any serious impacts? Um, it, it, again, going, you know, sort of referring back to the previous question, it could well have an impact, not necessarily on what Sudan would agree to, because it's in Sudan's interest, mostly because of the Americans are pushing it, but whether it's going to be a warm uh, uh, you know, relationship at the people's level, it's doubtful. Uh, Sudan certainly does have a very large uh, population that uh, will reject this. I mean, we've already seen it. Um, don't forget, at the moment, it's a transitional government, uh, and they have to be extremely careful. They've seen um, a leader, a dictator, after decades in power, get booted out. Uh, so they certainly have to toe a very careful line with this, and I think they have so far. But they also understand that the advantages at this point outweigh the disadvantages, as I said, being taken off the list of supporters of terror, uh, sanctions uh, removed against them, which can mean a massive influx of money. Uh, the transitional government can do a lot with that, and that will certainly gain them a lot of respect uh, and, and give them a certain room for maneuver. Without that, I think just to come to the table with Israel would have been far largely, far more largely uh, rejected. But I think uh, many in Sudan understand, you know, the price that this will pay. And I think over time, more and more people will understand that, uh, it, it, you know, the world hasn't fallen, that the sky hasn't fallen in because of, uh, uh, because we now have uh, embassies or some sort of relations between the two countries. Follow-up question on that. Where do you think the embassies or where are the embassies going to be located? are located? Well, none of them will be in Jerusalem at this point. Uh, they'll all be in the coast, Tel Aviv region, where the vast majority, I think the, the US and I think one other, I think there's a Latin American country, I can't remember, uh, is in Jerusalem. There's talk of some others, uh, Serbia and others, but no, nothing, you know, there's a few uh, uh, trade, uh, uh, diplomatic uh, missions in Jerusalem, but uh, you know, I, that, there, there was a bit of momentum uh, when the US moved their administration to Jerusalem. Um, and I think one or two others moved around the same time and all but one other, I think it's maybe Guatemala, I can't remember what it is, uh, has basically moved, uh, moved their embassy back to Tel Aviv. So none of these countries will, will go that far at this point, uh, certainly beyond any other country and, and move their embassies to Jerusalem. So when and if they move, when and if they move, uh, open their embassies, I'm sure will be in the in the Tel Aviv region.
Thank you. Do you foresee a warmer peace agreement or peace with Egypt and Jordan as a result of the recent Abraham agreements? Um, no, I don't think it's necessarily having a great impact because, as I said, it's uh, you know these are two. I mean, each one's distinct. You know, to talk about them as a, as a group would, would would be difficult. Jordan has a, a majority Palestinian population, so on the ground peace with Israel or what they call normalization with Israel is is not popular. Uh, and there's in fact even official anti-normalization groups within Jordan and the uh, the parliament itself is vociferously anti-Israel and keep on passing or trying to pass laws uh, to uh, lower relations uh, between Jordan and Israel. But at the end of the day, it's the king that makes the decisions and the king understands the role Israel plays in security. You know, uh, it's, it's not the most stable country bordering Iraq on one side, Syria on another. It's, 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 a, it's a very difficult country to govern. Uh, he's not his father, with, uh, who had far greater stability and had uh, far greater relationships with the prominent Bedouin tribes, which buttressed his regime, uh, in opposition to the uh, uh, majority Palestinian population. Uh, but he does know very well how, what Israel does, uh, what Israel can provide, uh, especially in these days. Um, so that's why it's, it's not under threat, but it certainly is very, very far away from being the war peace. Uh, so I don't think that's going to be affected. Um, and from everything that I've seen in, the, in, in, in Egypt, it's, it's not going to have a particularly positive effect. Uh, again, you see the leadership uh, with uh, President Sisi, uh, who has very good relations, uh, formal relations with Israel, but it's, uh, it's not uh, going to suddenly turn overnight into these warm relations between uh, peoples that we see in other parts of the world. Mm. And do you think there's a chance of normalization with Saudi Arabia coming up? Well, this is the big one. Uh, the Mossad director said the other day that he believes that if uh, President Trump gets reelected, it could be a matter of days. Um, you know, far be it for me to say, but I, I you know, I, I, I think that's very astute. I think, you know, obviously he has far better information than I do. So, but I think it's clear that, um, Saudi Arabia, uh, and I actually did say this uh, a while back, I think Saudi Arabia is taking a wait and see position on this. If President Trump gets reelected, I think there'll be uh, fewer barriers uh, to an open peace with Israel. They've already gone quite far down the road, giving the green light to its uh, smaller neighbors to, to uh, sign agreements with Israel, allowing planes coming to and from Israel to pass over its territory. I mean. These may seem like relatively minor details, but these are quite significant for a country that, you know, uh, was at war to a certain extent with Israel and certainly was uh, one of the larger, most, you know, larger parts of the rejections camp. Uh, up until, you know, it led the way with the um, uh, Arab Peace Initiative, but that was still, I mean, it was, it was quite a big step for, for, for Saudi Arabia in the Arab world, but for Israel it was still seen as quite a few steps away from what it would like to see. Um, but I do believe that it, um, it could be a matter of days or weeks uh, if, the, if President Trump gets re-elected. If there is a President Biden, um, I think they'll wait and see. They'll wait and see what, 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 what's the direction uh, of that presidency, if it's going to return, as I said, to this uh, concept of linkage, if it's going to reach out to Iran. That's very important. President Obama and his administration uh, 
really infuriated the Saudis. You know, as much as we like to talk about the Iran agreement, uh, the nuclear agreement, how it upset Israel and Israel, uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu specifically worked against it. Well, the Saudis were working just as hard. Uh, you know, for them, they are the number one target of Iran. You know, they are pretty much, you know, on, on, the, on the battlefield uh, with Iranian proxies day in, day out. So I think they'd want to wait and see exactly what the Biden presidency uh, would present, what its objectives, what its strategy would be. Uh, but I think it's ready. I think we're not a million miles away from seeing that, but that, and that would be the paradigm changer because whereas, you know, with all credit to the UAE and Bahrain and even Sudan, none of them have the weight of Saudi Arabia in the region, in the Sunni world, in the Muslim world. Um, and Saudi Arabia will certainly be the, the biggest fish uh, in this particular play. So on a lighter note, one of our viewers has heard that the Israeli tourism companies are revving up to send tourist groups to the UAE and Bahrain in 2021. Is this something that the government of Israel is encouraging and monitoring? And do you expect the Emiratis and Bahrainis will visit Israel as tourists when COVID has ended? Um, I don't think I don't think you even need uh, the government uh, interference in this. I think they understand there's a massive market. Um, it's I think it's three, three and a half hours. I may find out myself in a few weeks. I may be going across there myself. Uh, I know so many people have already been there who are planning trips. Um, so I don't think they need to, you know, the government really to support that because people are very curious. They've seen it, they've seen the warmth, they've seen the welcome. Dubai, my understanding is that now every hotel in Dubai has to have a, or is having a kosher option. Uh, so the fact that they are doing that shows that they are they understand that there will be uh, significant uh, Israeli trade. And I believe at the beginning of December, there'll be at least two or three airlines that will have direct flights. At the moment, you have to travel through a third country, either Ethiopia, uh, some people do it that way or, or other ways. Uh, but as of December 1st, I believe there'll be at least certain airlines that will fly straight there. So three and a half hours, you know, from my understanding, beautiful beach resort, very competitive price-wise. Israelis are already all over it. I don't think uh, you need the government to interfere. It, it seems like uh, 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 going the other way, you know, don't forget there are very, in UAE, there's not that many people. There's only around, I, th I think, four, 450,000 actual citizens. Um, so it's not going to be a massive trade. I'm sure many religious uh, Muslims from the UAE and Bahrain would like to come to Jerusalem. Um, so far, there was a UAE delegation that came to Jerusalem and went to visit uh, the Temple Mount and were basically pushed off by some Palestinians who recognized them as Emirati uh, officials. Uh, but I don't think that will put off uh, many others. Um, but I think it will be more Israelis going over there than uh, the other way necessarily at this point, but uh, who knows what will be in the future. Thank you. Uh, will friendly relations with Sudan facilitate the immigration of Jewish Ethiopian refugees into Israel, many of whom come via Sudan? Well, uh, today, today that, that was true uh, during the 90s um, when a lot of the Ethiopian Jews traveled through uh, Sudan and there was an airlift, etc., etc. Today, uh, they basically remain in, in Addis Ababa. Uh, many of them have come from all over the country. The ones, the few thousand that are left, I believe there's 4,000 in total. Uh, so Sudan don't play a great role in that. Where they do play a great role, and this is uh, what some Israelis have been talking about this week, is there are a lot of Sudanese uh, uh, 
depending how you look at it, infiltrators, refugees uh, who came to Israel uh, through Egypt and, and other ways. And Israel could not uh, return any of these people, uh, those who are not bona fide refugees, obviously, uh, because we didn't have formal relations. So Prime Minister Netanyahu, knowing that's something that affects part of his electorate, especially on the right wing, did mention that uh, during his discussions. And that is something that's uh, uh, been talked about. But really, uh, having formal relations certainly doesn't change the status of individuals, uh, uh, Sudanese and Israel. And probably there's a lot, uh, there's, there's lot, just as large groups of Eritreans and others, which Israel does have formal relations and they haven't been able to sort out their status. So uh, I think maybe the Prime Minister Netanyahu was overstating uh, the significance of the uh, agreement uh, for the Sudanese and Israel on that, but it's certainly something to look out for. Maybe, maybe that was part of the negotiations. Maybe there is something happening, but again, you know, it's obviously up to the individual whether they want to return. And the situation in Sudan is certainly no better, or, better, or not significantly better, that uh, the, uh, some of these Sudanese refugees or infiltrators, whatever you want to call economic migrants who, who ran away, will suddenly see the situation as, as preferable there just because we, we've signed a normalization agreement. All right. So one last Tough question here. Could we see a peace agreement between Israel and Iran one day? And <laughs> yeah, we'll just leave it at that. One day, no, no. One, listen, when you leave it as open as one day, yes. Uh, can we see it coming soon? As, as you know, President Trump has mentioned it, uh, that he sees it could come. Even if he's reelected, I don't see it happening during his tenure. But stranger things have happened in the world. That is certainly the truth. <laughs> Maybe one day. All right. Well, unfortunately, we've come to the close of our webinar. Ashley, thank you again for taking time to update us this week. Um, for our viewers, please join us Friday at 1 p.m. Eastern for a webinar with Shoshana Bryan, demystifying Israel's qualitative military edge. Thank you all again for joining us, and I hope you have a great day.